Good morning, dear brothers and sisters. We have now finished July, and we're starting a new month of August. The pandemic rages on and seems to have gotten worse instead of better. We're thankful the Lord has taken care of us and kept us healthy, and we're thankful that we can continue on having our online meetings on Sunday morning and on the devotions on Monday nights with Sylvia and on Wednesday nights with Adel. We're very thankful for that. Before we begin, shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to look into the Word of God and see what it says to us. Lord, it's more than words on a paper. It's your holy word. And Lord, we pray that you would apply it to our lives. We pray in these dark days of uncertainty and and difficulty that we will trust you to bring us through the other end of the tunnel, Lord. The world around us doesn't know what to do. They have no answers. They have no solutions. We thank you that only you do, Lord. We thank you that you're our Lord and sovereign and king. And we pray that you'll direct us every single day. We pray, Lord, that you will hide me behind the cross this morning and just pray that your word would touch our lives. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, and we pray that you will direct us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1926, Raymond Edmond, a 26-year-old missionary, was in the Andes Mountains of Ecuador. He and his wife and eight-year-old excuse me, eight-week-old son, were there serving the Lord together. Raymond was then struck with typhoid fever, and his wife and his family and his friends all believed that he was going to die, so much so that they went out and bought a coffin, and his wife, who had no black dress to wear, took her own wedding dress and dyed it black. The situation was bleak, There was no hope he was going to die as a young 26-year-old man. But while this was happening in Ecuador, a Bible conference was taking place in Massachusetts some 3,500 miles away. Dr. Joseph Evans, one of the leaders of the conference, began to feel a burden to pray for Raymond. The group left off their study of the scriptures and began to pray earnestly for him. They knew nothing of Raymond's situation. They prayed through the lunch hour. They prayed into the afternoon. In fact, the middle of the afternoon, Brother Evans said, Praise the Lord, the victory is won. Indeed, the victory had been won. Raymond regained his health that very day and lived 41 more years and went on to become the fourth president of Wheaton College. You know, our God has power, and there's power in prayer. And God can do great things, great miracles, great wonders when we pray, when we get down on our knees and earnestly call upon Him. God has answered so many prayers in our lives, and we're very thankful. He has all power. And all we have to do is believe and trust in Him. The only thing that can thwart God's power is our unbelief. Today, today the message title is, There is nothing too hard 
for the Lord. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. We're going to look at three things this morning. First, God's power is unlimited except by our unbelief. Number two, God's power is shown through our weakness. And number three, God's power turns impossibilities into possibilities. One day, God came to the tent of Abraham and Sarah to announce that he was going to give them a son. Now, they weren't exactly a young couple or even an older couple. They were well advanced in years. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. They were well beyond the childbearing years. And yet God was going to do a miracle. God was going to answer their request and give them a son. They had tried on their own and they had Ishmael, which caused a great conflict and which is still going on between the Jews and the Arabs today. They took matters into their own hands instead of waiting upon the Lord. But as Abraham was there and Sarah, Abraham was speaking to the angel and then Sarah was in the tent. And it says in Genesis chapter 18, verses 13 to 15, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a son, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. It's amazing that when God answered their prayers and he came back to them in nine months and the baby was born, when it was time to give the baby a name, she said, you shall call his name Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. When God does something so extraordinary, so remarkable, so powerful in our lives, we can only laugh with joy for what he does. She laughed because it was so unbelievable. But she knew by faith that God would answer. And her name is recorded in the 11th chapter of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith chapter because she believed in the Lord. Well, let's look at our first point today. God's power is unlimited except by our unbelief. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 27 these are the Lord's words speaking to Jeremiah, the prophet. And what I love about the Bible, about among many, many things, is the fact that we have God speaking to us directly in the scriptures. It's not writing about God. It's writing his words that he has for us. Direct quotes like this and other inspired texts. Here it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, I don't know what you're going through in your life, in your job, in your home, at your place of school. Your school's not going on right now, but wherever these things happen and we have problems and difficulties and we can thank the Lord that this verse here gives us such encouragement 
the Lord asked the question, is there anything too hard for me? In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 19, we have the, the words that says, the great trials which your eyes saw and signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the people of whom you are afraid. God delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt, from Pharaoh's power, and he delivered them and he brought them through the Red Sea and across the Jordan and into the promised land. And during all the time they were in the wilderness, he provided manna from heaven. He opened up the skies and sent quail to feed them and give them meat. He took care of them. He even brought water out of a rock for them to drink. God is powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do. And I love this expression where it says, the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the Lord. That same power that parted the Red Sea also killed 185,000 Assyrians in the days of Hezekiah. That same power also delivered Daniel from the lion's den. That same power delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. That same power raised Jesus Christ, God's Son, from the dead. That same power shook the prison cell there at Philippi while Paul and Silas were praising God even though they had been severely beaten. And they were there in the prison, in the dungeon, singing praises to God. And all of a sudden, the earthquake came and the prison cells were open, but they didn't. None of the prisoners left. Yes, God's power is remarkable. It's unbelievable. We cannot fathom it sometimes. And God delights to prove himself mighty in our lives, no matter what we're going through. Because when we have questions, he has answers. When we have problems, he has solutions. We don't always know what to do or where to turn. Sometimes we have no hope. It looks so impossible. In Numbers chapter 20, 11 and verse 23, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen or not. Here in these verses prior to it, the Lord had promised to send them uh, the, the meat in the wilderness. And Moses says, well, if you were to take all the herds and all the cattle and all the animals that we have, how could we feed such a multitude of people? And that's when the Lord says, you're going to see whether I'm telling you the right thing, whether it's going to happen or not. Because when God says it, we can trust that it's going to happen. I love that song, God said it and I believe it and that settles it for me. God said it and I believe it and that settles it for me. Though some may doubt that his word is true, I've chosen to believe it now. How about you? God said it and I believe it and that settles it for me. I read a story not long ago from the second book of Kings, chapter 7. A remarkable story of Elisha. Elisha performed many miracles as his mentor Elijah had done. And here in this passage, Elisha makes a rather bold uh, prediction, a, a prophecy that just must have sent, left people scratching their heads. 
how this would ever happen because at this time there was a famine in Israel. Uh, there was no food. They were running out of food. And it's, it was a hopeless, difficult situation. And yet the prophet says this, Thus says the Lord. So it wasn't coming just from him. It was coming from the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Things were so expensive if they could find anything at that time to eat. It was so expensive that people couldn't even afford to buy it. That's why there was an officer who, it says, on whose hand the king leaned. In other words, one of his close advisors, maybe his most close advisor, doesn't mention his name. He was an officer there in the army that took care of many different things. And he says, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, Elisha said to him, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat from it. God was going to do something special that would make all the ears of the people tingle. He was going to do a miracle that they could not even take in. And that's what, what the Lord did here. And it came about just exactly as the Lord had said. It turns out there were four lepers. And these four lepers were about to die of hunger. And they thought, well, the best thing for us to do is to go out to the Syrians and maybe they'll have some kind of compassion on us if we surrender to them. And maybe they won't kill us. Because if we sit here, we're going to die of the famine. If we go out to them, they may kill us. We may die either way but let's go. So they went out to find the Syrian army outside of the town. Now remember, lepers were already banished outside the camp, so they were already in the right closer to the army, uh, the approaching army, than the people in the city. So they went out, and they looked for the army, and they couldn't find any, anyone. Not one single soldier was found. Now they found all the spoils and all the treasures that the soldiers had with them were spewed all over the ground, but all the soldiers were gone. And the scripture tells us that they heard a loud noise that sounded like an army coming against them. And they thought that Israel had hired some other kings and their armies to come and help them. So they fled. They fled. Who made them flee? The Lord made them flee. Who did the miracle? The Lord did the miracle. And so these lepers were just so overjoyed. They found all these treasures. They started taking them back to their tents. And then one leper said to the others, he said, Hey, wait a minute, guys. We can't do this. This isn't right. Keeping all this for ourselves, keeping it to ourselves. We've got to tell the king of Israel. We've got to make it known to all the people that we're saved from the Syrian invasion. So they did. And of course, the king was not convinced that this was really the case because he thought the Syrians were trying a ploy to get them to come out and then they would kill them and then they would go into the city and take over the city. So he said, let's send out a few men. We've only got a couple of horses here. We'll send them out with the men on them and, and check it out. And sure enough, just like the lepers had told them, 
There was no army there, but everything was there. All the treasures, all the spoils, and they took it in. And it says in verses 17 and 18 of the chapter, now the king had appointed the king, now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate and he died, just as the man of God said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, two seahs of barley for a shekel and a seah of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Notice, he saw it, but he didn't eat from it. Just like Elijah had said, the word of the Lord always comes to pass. And there's only one thing that can affect God's power, and that's unbelief. The men of Nazareth knew Jesus very well and his family and Jesus had done many miracles in, in areas around Galilee and Judea and all through the land. And they'd heard about it through the word of mouth, but they had not seen it with themselves in their own town. And so they stumbled because of this. And it says in Mark chapter 6, verses 3 to 6, Is not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joas, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Amazing how man's unbelief can hinder the omnipotence of God. It's amazing. The only limit is unbelief or doubting. A man named J.G. Miller commented, such unbelief as this has immense consequences for evil. It closes the channels of grace and mercy so that only a trickle gets through to human lives in need. Just a trickle. We don't want a trickle of God's blessing. We don't want a trickle of God's power. We want a torrent. We want abundance. We want showers of God's blessing. And to do that, to experience His power in our lives, we need to believe. We need to have the faith. It only needs to be as small as a mustard seed, Jesus said. And you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. All we need to do is have the right faith in the right person, which is Jesus Christ. And he will do great things. The hymn writer says, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Even the Apostle Thomas was a doubter. He doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. They said, Thomas, he's risen. But when Jesus was risen and he met with his disciples the first time, Thomas wasn't there. And when they tried to convince him that the Lord was alive, he says, I will not believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands and side. I will not believe. And then when Jesus appeared, 
passed through the wall into their midst. He said, Thomas, reach here your finger and touch and see that it is me. And he did, and he says, my Lord and my God. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen, which is us, and yet have believed. Yes, God is good, and all we need to do is have a childlike faith, and God will do wonderful and great things. Secondly, God's power is shown through our weakness. This, to me, is one of the most amazing demonstrations of God's power there is in the world today is that God would work His mighty power through our weakness. Now, I can think of many more people that are qualified to speak, to qualify to serve, qualified to do that than, than me or, or you or anyone. The angels would be better at, at serving. They would serve faithfully. They would never disobey. They would do His will always. They would never rebel. They would always be content and so forth. But God did not choose to use angels to bring the gospel to the world. He chose you and He chose me as clean, empty vessels that His power might be demonstrated through our weakness. This was true in the life of the Apostle Paul when he prayed three times in the second book of Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh would be taken away from him. But God did not answer that prayer in that way. In fact, he said this, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's better to have the grace of God in sufficient measure than it is to have a prayer answered where God takes away the pain, takes away the affliction, takes away the hardship. He wants to leave it there many times in our lives so that we recognize how weak we are and how strong He is. That's what He wants us to learn. We oftentimes don't like to discuss our weaknesses. We don't want to deal with them. We want to emphasize how strong we are, how smart we are, how intelligent we are, how successful we are. I know sometimes in job interviews, they'll ask you, what do you think are your weaknesses? What do you think you need to improve upon? That puts you in kind of an awkward position because if you state what your weaknesses are, they might think, I don't want to hire this guy. He's a loser. But when we're honest with the Lord, we have to recognize that without Him, we can do nothing. And we need His strength to be manifested through our weaknesses. We see it in the Scriptures over and over, and there's a few examples of this. Gideon was weak in himself. He was fearful. And yet God turned his faith into his fear, I should say, into faith. And he won a great victory over the Midianites with just 300 soldiers, none of them armed with weapons at all. David came to Goliath seemingly in his weakness. Goliath was armed to the hilt. He had the armor he had the spear, the spear, the sword, the javelin, everything. 
he came out with human weapons against David. But David, trusting in God's strength to come through his weakness, used his sling and his stone to bring down Goliath. Peter, who was always speaking up and sometimes speaking out of turn and sometimes saying things he regretted later, in his weakness, God brought his strength. Because on the day of Pentecost, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he preached the gospel and 3,000 people were won to Christ on the day of Pentecost. It's not up to us, folks. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It's up to the Lord working through his vessels. And that's us. And he wants to use each one of us. In our weakness, he wants to bring forth his strength. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, which says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or as it has been translated in other translations, jars of clay. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Not one soul will be in heaven because of our witness, our testimony. It's they will be in heaven because God used his word to bring them, to convict them, to bring them to himself. It's all of God and not of us. God doesn't want us bragging or boasting about what we have done, the souls we have won like notches on a gun. No, God's power through the earthen vessels or the jars of clay shows that God's power is what's important, not us. It's not about us. It's not about us winning souls to Christ or being a blessing to others. It's the Lord through us. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to use us for his glory so that he gets the glory and not us. D.L. Moody once said, real, fit, true faith in man's weakness in God's strength. Real, true faith is man's weakness in God's strength. Yes, it's about the fact that we are empty. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be clean, empty vessels. Johnny Erickson Tata, we're all familiar with her story and how she went diving into the water as a young girl, teenager, I believe, and she broke her neck and became a paraplegic. Now, many of us, when that happens, Something like that, devastating like that happens, we might want to feel like just giving up. God can't use me. I'm no good. I'm damaged goods. I had this injury. What can I do? But she didn't. She believed God and trusted God. And God used her to write many wonderful words and do many wonderful things for Him. I still remember the picture of her as a young, young woman with the pen in her mouth, uh, drawing and writing and She's written so many books and so many things. And she said these words, Deny your weakness and you will never realize God's strength in you. We have to admit our weakness. We're all weak. We all need him. And his power and his strength needs to flow through us in a very real and practical way. Samson killed more Philistines in his death than in his life. His weakness, which he had for women, ended up turning out to where he ended up in the prison in the, in the, among the Philistines. 
And there he was, blind. They were having him perform for him. And all of a sudden, he was standing there and there was a young man. He says, can you please help me find the, the pillars here so I can rest a moment? And so the young lad helped him to the pillars. And he prayed to God. He says, God, give me the strength to gain vengeance on my enemies and on the people of these Philistines. And sure enough, God gave him his strength back. And through Samson's weakness, God brought forth the strength and he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. Our third point before we conclude today is God's power turns impossibilities into possibilities. You know, the word impossibility really doesn't enter into the vocabulary of the Lord. Nothing's impossible with him. However, the Bible does say it's impossible for him to lie and he can't go against his nature. And there's certain things like that that are true. But when it comes to doing great things and miracles and things of this nature, God has no limitations. He has all the power and it's a wonderful power. And two of the greatest miracles of the Bible are so encouraging. The virgin birth through Mary of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and his glorious resurrection. These things people have tried to disprove down through the years and have failed. Many of them got saved as a result of their research on the evidence that these two events were indeed true. God turns the impossible in the eyes of man into the possible. And he does it for his glory. When the angel announced, which was Gabriel, he announced that Mary would give birth to the Son of God. He said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, for with God, nothing will be impossible. The great evangelist Billy Sunday once said, we have a God who delights in impossibilities. We face impossible situations where all human efforts are exhausted, like in the story of the missionary and how they had just given up all hope. But God is a God of hope. And He comes through as long as it's His will. Charles Wesley's famous words ring to a great degree in our ears today. He said, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. In life situations, there are things that we can't handle, problems we can't solve, things that we can't deal with on our own. The case was for the women who went to anoint the body of Jesus after his, his death on the cross. They knew that there was a large stone in front of that grave and they didn't know how they were going to get it moved. They couldn't do it. They weren't strong enough to do it. It would take many men to move such a stone. It took quite a few to put it in and it would take quite a few to pull it off. But they didn't have to because God removed the stone. And God is still in the stone removing business today in things that seem impossible. There's a huge impediment in, in, in our situation and we need His help. God is able to remove the stone and do His miracle.
I have a sign at my on my desk at home that and in my home office. I used to have it at work at all my different jobs. I had it for many years. It's a little wood plaque thing and it says these words on it. With God, all things are possible. Sometimes I don't notice it because it's been there so long, but sometimes it's right there and, and I'll see it and the Lord will bless my heart and I'll say, wow, Lord, with God, all things are possible. And He has blessed me and He has blessed us so tremendously. I found a hymn. It's not in our, in our red hymnal or our black hymnal or anything like this, but it came to my mind as I was studying the Word of God the other day. It's a wonderful hymn. And the words of this hymn say this, Be of good courage, God spake unto Joshua, when o'er the river God pointed the way. Jordan, uncrossable, things seemed impossible. Waters divide as they march and obey. Battles to win, they would meet with their obstacles. Jericho's walls, too, must fall to the ground. God never failed. He stood back of his promises. Walls had to crumble as they marched all around. God is the same and his word is dependable. He'll make a way through the waters for you. Life situations by him are amendable. Mountains and hills he will part for you, too. And the refrain is so great. It says, got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and he will do what no other power can do. So let's remember today there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. He has all strength, all power. He can do all things. He's unlimited. He's limitless. He's the omnipotent God, the only thing that can hinder His power is our unbelief. If we don't believe, we need to have the faith to believe Him and trust in Him like a little child trusts His Father. We need to have that kind of faith that doesn't doubt, that clings to the Lord. Yes, and God demonstrates His power in so many ways across the globe, but in the most wonderful way, He demonstrates His power through our weakness. Through our weakness, we are strong. He gets all the glory because we are just empty vessels filled with the Holy Spirit to be used in His service. This way, He gets the maximum glory. And God is a specialist when it comes to impossibilities and turning those impossibilities into possibilities. With God, all things are possible. God's power is unrestrained. God's power is uncontained. And God's power is unexplained. Let's thank Him today. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Shall we pray? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank You for encouraging us from Your Word today. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. The next time we come across waters that are seem to be uncrossable, the rivers flowing or the oceans, Lord, help us to trust You. Next time we come across a problem that's unsolvable, help us to cling to You. Lord, next time we have something happen where all hope is lost, help us to keep our hope in the God of our hope. And Father, we just pray that you will give us a wonderful Lord's Day today. Bless us with the coming week. And Lord, we just pray until next Sunday that you will encourage us in your word. And Lord, we pray for the devotion 
on Monday night that Sylvia gives and the one on Wednesday night that Adel gives, that they will continue to be a blessing to us, that we will have this wonderful time in the Word three times a week. Until this pandemic is over, Lord, until there's a vaccine, until it's your time for us to return back to normal, and we just leave it in your hands and pray you'll keep us safe and healthy. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.